Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Thursday Morning Report. This was a project I did a few years back in partnership with Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, where I volunteered as an engineer, host, and producer. Enjoy this one-hour interview program that went out live over the radio on KZYX. If you like what you are hearing, you can check out my current podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on your favorite podcast hosting site, or find out more on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm also on Twitter at McKenty. If you want to support the program, look up The Shift on Patreon, or find it on the web at www.theshiftnow.com and click on subscribe. Subscribers receive access to full-length feature episodes of The Shift, as well as the membership forum, where members can engage in discussions and participate in the evolution of the show. Stay tuned for this episode of the Thursday Morning Report from KZYX Radio in Mendocino County, California. Very good, everyone. We should just kick it in today. Uh, this, this morning, my guest is Charles Crescent Wood. He's the author of Kicking the Gasoline and Petrodiesel Habit. He is one of the leaders of our local Transition Towns movement. Uh, so we're going to be discussing Transition Town as a national movement and then focusing on uh, what you can do right here in Mendocino County to help uh, our community transition into a more sustainable and independent uh, community. Let's, uh, let's get Charles on the line. Charles, are you there? I am, Doug. Thanks very much for having me on your show. You bet. Uh, thanks for your patience this morning. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let's just talk. Let's just kick it in um, and talk for a while about uh, why people should care about uh, transitioning into a more sustainable economy. What's going on right now that that uh, uh, makes this probably, in my opinion, one of the most important things we can be talking about? Well, I'm with you absolutely. And uh, for those people who are not familiar with transition towns, mm-hmm. uh, they should know that there are really uh, four different things that we're we're focused on: uh, peak oil climate change, uh, ecological uh, system degradation, and financial system collapse. And uh, this is really the perfect storm of uh, major crises all coming together. And it's clear that the federal government uh, and the corporations are not going to take a leadership position with respect to creating a new economy that's local, that's sustainable, that's resilient, uh, the people have to do that themselves. And, and so this is showing up in many different ways, uh, including the demonstrations these days with the so-called American autumn. But, uh, you know, another way that people can work towards a new economy, a new society, is to help to set up infrastructure here locally to uh, help us meet our own needs in a way that's respectful of Mother Nature, in a way that's sustainable. And uh, we've got a bunch of different uh, working groups, for instance, uh, and I hope that we have time to get into it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a member of a local money uh, working group, and we're setting up a, a new local currency here for Mendocino County. But uh, there are many other things underway, and, and if I may, I'd just like to offer a quote. Could I do that? With uh, Margaret Mead said something that I thought was just so inspiring and so Mm-hmm. So right on with respect to what Transition Towns is up to, she said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And if you think about it, that's really the genesis of our country, was a small group of thoughtful citizens that had a different idea, and they went off and did it. 
and uh, we can do that too. And so uh, that's what Transition Towns is all about. In fact, at this point, it's an international movement. There are hundreds of different uh, Transition Towns groups uh, throughout the world. It started in Ireland and uh, England, but has since spread as a an independent uh, networking organization. So we, we want to work with uh, all the other people and all the other groups that are doing great things here in Mendocino County, but we want to synergistically combine our efforts and focus on those things that are most important and uh, really help to mobilize the community so that we can create this new economy and new society. Could I give you a little bit more background? Do we have time for that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Um, you know, it was started by Rob Hopkins, and, and Rob is a, a permaculture teacher, and, and he was really frustrated because there, we do have lots of great research that talks about, for instance, how we can feed ourselves and, and have an environment that uses renewable energy and otherwise be respectful of nature, but at the same time be getting our needs met. But these ideas were not being implemented. So as part of a, a class that he was teaching, he asked his students to prepare what they called an energy descent plan. And the energy descent plan just recognizes that fossil fuels are going to be increasingly scarce in the years ahead. And, and it asked, well, what are we going to do about it in this one particular community? And, and that soon became the model for transition towns. And uh, that's a lot of what we're up to. Is it, It's really a duocracy. If you have a good idea, if you see there's something that needs to be fixed and you want to go fix it, or if you have an idea for how things could be better and you want to go uh, implement that idea, you're in charge. So whoever's doing the work, you're in charge. And so there's no centralized hierarchy here. We're not taking you know, any sort of instructions from a, a centralized group. This is, this is really a grassroots effort, and it's it's a combination of what the people need, and of course you can appreciate that that will be different, whichever location we're talking about. What it is that uh, we need here in Mendocino County is going to be very different than what they need in Kansas. So uh, we're in the process of uh, preparing a long-term plan. That's one of the things that Transition Towns does. It, it looks down the road, and the current system is so short-term in their focus. For instance, the corporations are just looking to the next quarter. You know, what are the profits for the next quarter? How does that affect share price? Stuff like that. We're looking out like 20 years, 10 years. Mm -hmm. What is it that we have to have in place in order to have a local, sustainable, and resilient economy and society? And then backing that up in steps. Well, if we're going to have achieved those things, what intermediate steps would have had to be taken care of? And this work has already been done by Charles Bush several years ago. You may know that he's the um, the president of the Senior Center in Fort Bragg, but he had a number of community meetings where he was really getting the pulse of the, the community about what do we need to do here. We want to update that and incorporate those things into specific uh, projects for transition towns people. Charles? And by the way... I'm sorry, go ahead. Excuse Doug. me. Was that uh, the I remember the back casting yes, meetings back that were happening. Work. And that right. was and that was about the time that, that you all started the transition towns here. Is that correct? Yeah, a little bit before. Okay. Yeah, we need to update that. We want to integrate that. Um, 
there are a bunch of different uh, things going on. In fact, the national headquarters for transition towns is right next door in Sebastopol, and and that's really the heartbeat of the whole country. So, for instance, they've got, uh, I think, a really important event coming up on uh, October 13th. That's a Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, Chris Martinson will be uh, talking, and his, his topic will be unfixable. What if our current predicament is too big to fix? And for those people who are not familiar with Chris Martinson, he has a, a website called chrismartinson.com. It's M-A-R-T-E-N-S-O-N, Martinson. But uh, he's the author of The Crash Course, which is really, uh, it's a free course. You can look at it online. It's a several-hour-long course, but it really confronts you with uh, the severity of what's going on and and how far things have gotten out of whack and why we need to uh, take a pretty drastic, immediate action in order to set ourselves back on a productive course. Well, this seems to be the crux of the problem. I mean, I, I think I, I did want to kind of here at the first part of the show really talk about how bad things are and why um, why we need to be thinking locally, why the system is not working for us. The political system is not going to make these changes that we need to have made if we are going to survive what appears to be this, as you described it, this perfect storm between these uh, major situations going on. You mentioned peak oil, climate change, ecosystem degradation, and then, of course, the financial collapse. We're, we're witnessing every day more and more uh, this financial system just uh, diving into the bucket here. Right. It's very disappointing that Obama doesn't talk about peak oil, as, and for that matter, resource depletion in general, as a major cause of the economic problems that we're having. You know, one reason why that we had such an unprecedented growth in population worldwide, as well as this uh, very high standard of living, is because we had relatively inexpensive natural resources at our disposal. And I'm, I'm not just talking about fossil fuels here. I'm talking about, you know, minerals and metals. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Clugston, who lives in Pennsylvania, he prepared a report which people can find on the web, C-L-U-G-S-T-O-N, Chris Clugston. Um, his report indicated there are 58 critical non-renewable natural resources that are used in our industrialized society, and we're already over the peak production of 50 of those natural resources. In other words... Wow. It's not just peak oil. It's, you know, peak natural gas we have to worry about. It's right. peak coal. It's a peak iron. It's peak sulfur. Yeah. It's you know, peak Copper, all these things. phosphorus. Yeah. yeah. And so we've been treating nature as though it was this dead commodity that we can just uh, rip out of the ground and use any way that we wish and we've been ignoring the consequences, and, and we've been disrespecting nature and, and not acknowledging nature is actually an alive system, and we're part of it. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in the process, we've been sullying our nest and, and making life very difficult for a wide variety of other species at the same time. So it's, it's really perverse the way the economic system has encouraged and forced people to act in a way which is disrespectful and ultimately very dangerous 
and unsustainable. And and this is a big part of you know why we're organizing uh, a new event, which is going to be about the rights of nature, where uh, we recognize that uh, just like people, nature has rights to clean water, to clean air, to to not be polluted, to uh, not have to put up with. Um, you know, genetic engineering and, and other interference. And this is a very exciting new uh, legal approach that not only uh, prevents uh, serious damage to nature, but it re-empowers local communities to uh, make decisions about how their natural resources will be used. And, uh, for instance, it has been used successfully in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to uh, ban fracking. You know, that's the the technique for the recovery of natural gas by uh, drilling. And unfortunately, they insert carcinogenic and neurotoxic uh, chemicals into the ground in the process of doing that drilling. And surprise, it gets into the water. Yeah, I want I want to know whose idea that was. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> but that, that's the type of craziness that we're engaged in for money. You know, we don't mm-hmm. look at the what the economists call uh, the externalities, the side effects of what we're doing. But this, this rights of nature approach, um, it's been incorporated into the Constitution of Ecuador. Uh, those people who, and I've been to Ecuador, so I've seen this uh, firsthand, but uh, in Ecuador there's really very serious pollution from uh, petroleum uh, drilling, and uh, poor handling of that. And so they've decided to put that in the constitution of the country of Ecuador. And, and Bolivia has done the same thing, in, in part in response to a major multinational corporation that took over some of their water rights. So this, this rights of nature, a legal conversation, ends up being a, a very uh, exciting uh, new approach to uh, re-empower local people to assert their inherent rights. And what we're going to do, we're going to have two events. Uh, one is going to be in Ukiah on Wednesday, the 9th of November, and we're going to have one in Mendocino on Thursday, the 10th of November. And uh, both of those events will feature uh, two speakers. Uh, one is uh, Shannon Biggs, and she's the co-author of a book called The Rights of Nature. And... Uh, that's that's really the definitive uh, book in this area, defining a universal declaration of the rights of Mother Earth. And we're also going to have uh, Amy Marcus. Uh, she's one of the core group who uh, have been working up there in Mount Shasta, uh, Mount Shasta County, uh, primarily to stop PG&E from cloud seeding in order to build up water uh, behind the dams, um, which, of course, then could be used to generate more electric power. So uh, one of the objectives of, this, of these meetings will be not only to introduce people to the new way of thinking that uh, the rights of nature provides, but it will also be a way for us to uh, hopefully generate some students to attend what, what's called a democracy school. And the democracy school is taught by people from the community environmental uh, legal Defense Fund, sometimes called CELDF. People can check out their website. It's uh, CELDF.org. But uh, these democracy schools, um, <clears throat> they're ways to teach people about 
uh, community self-governance, how to uh, reduce the rights of corporations when it comes to exploitation of natural resources, how to, uh, you know, get rid of corporate personhood. It, it teaches a whole paradigm shift, a way to uh, empower the uh, people of a community to assert their inalienable rights um, as a sovereign people. So we're looking forward to that, and more information will be on our uh, Facebook page for Mendocino Coast Transition Towns. <clears throat> I don't know if it's going to make it to our webpage, which is transitionmendocinocoast.org, because our uh, our webmaster is away on uh, projects. But this is just one of the events that we're working on. We've got a lot of other um, working groups that I could mention. If you if you like, I could go into those. Well, let's go into that. And, yeah, let's go into that in just a few minutes here. I, I wanted to stick on this rights of nature idea for just a second to uh, solidify exactly how what kind of power does this give to the community to fight against the corporations. Um, I mean, do we have to work on getting something written into a constitution? Can, like, say, can Mendocino County uh, pass some kind of an ordinance that would then give the county government more power versus the the corporations using this rights of nature concept? You know, how, well, how does it get implemented and then used? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an attorney, and mm-hmm. I'm also not an expert in this area. My job is more the, the guy to help bring in the experts. But um, it has been introduced at the United Nations by uh, Evo Morales, who uh, you may recognize as the president of Bolivia, Mm-hmm. Very exciting, the first indigenous uh, president of Bolivia. But um, he's uh, taken that rights of nature conversation to the United Nations in April earlier this year. Uh, of course, they haven't passed anything about it, but it is a much bigger conversation, and it's brand new. So we don't have a whole lot of examples to point to. It, for instance, has never been implemented anywhere in uh, the United States on a county-wide basis. And and that's part of the opportunity that uh, we would like to embrace here, just as Mendocino County has lots of very progressive people. We were the first, for instance, on a county-wide basis to ban genetically modified organisms. Uh, We likewise can be the the first in the country to adopt this um, approach, recognizing the rights of nature. So um, in more specific answer to your question, it could be uh, a law that the Board of Supervisors passes, a uh, Board of Supervisors. It could be a, uh, you know, a referendum that people vote on. It, it could be manifested in many different ways, but it's really up to the local community to decide how it is that they want to fix those rights and recognize those rights legally and, and also to define uh, what those rights would involve. And so that is also going to be local. But uh, we're, we're delighted to be working with uh, CELDF on this and, and to have their uh, support for generating that conversation here in Mendocino County. All right, let me do a quick uh, station break here. It's 9.34. You're listening to the Thursday Morning Report here on KZYX. This morning I'm speaking with... Charles Crescent Wood. He is the author of Kicking the Gasoline and Petrodiesel Habit and uh, also one of our uh, local transition towns leaders. So we're talking about 
well, basically all the big, huge problems in the world today, and then what we need to be doing on a local level uh, to try to change that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I get so many calls here at the radio station from people that um, are just very frustrated with the current political system. And I have more and more, I have more and more just decided that wh- why are we wasting our energy on this uh, Leviathan, really? that is not accomplishing anything except uh, actually every day I think it gets a little more clear to me that the government mostly protects these corporations rather than uh, protecting the people, which is supposed to be its function. So it, it, yep. the, whole, the whole situation is just a failure. Uh, yep. A few really rich people are taking all of the, <laughs> all of the resources uh, of the world and, and kind of pocketing the profits for themselves uh, and leaving uh, we the people uh, with a... a generally a terrible job <laughs> working in the mines for them, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and and so that's why I, I'm attracted to this whole concept of the Transition Towns movement because it's giving us something instead of, you know, calling you the congressman for the thousandth time and getting nothing accomplished, we can at least be going to meetings, but then, and and I mean, you're still kind of in the formulation phase of all of this, right? Sure, um, sure. You're having meetings, you're brainstorming still a little bit, and, and things are starting to solidify. Can you talk a little bit about that whole that whole process, just getting started, what you've been doing for the last couple of years? What made you think about coming up with these working groups, and et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know, I, I spent two years uh, writing this book called Kicking the Gasoline and Petrodiesel Habit, and the, the subtitle is uh, A Business Manager's Blueprint for Action. And it, it details 500 different products and services that we can be using to uh, get away from petroleum. Uh, so it's not a matter of research. Um, we have the technology. Uh, we have the solutions. It's a matter of political will. It's a matter of uh, people actually going ahead and making the change. And I, I targeted the book at, at business and government and in fact, I did a, a cross-country speaking tour about uh, peak oil and how that's going to affect our economy and how it is already affecting our economy in a big way, actually. Mm-hmm. And this was primarily at conferences dealing with uh, contingency planning and, and business continuity. And consistently, the attendees would come up to me afterwards and say, you know, wow, that's really a great story you put together. And Thank you so much for doing all this research, and, and you're right on with your points, and I'm very, very worried also. And, and then I would say to them, well, uh, what are you going to do at your organization? And, and they would say, oh, gee, you know, times are tough, and I'm really worried about my job, and I can't rock the boat, and uh, so I don't think we're going to be doing anything. And and so that has been the very disappointing response in both business and government, and I think Michael Rupert also said it really well. Um, for people who are not familiar with Michael Rupert, he's the author of several books on this topic, including Crossing the Rubicon, which really talks about how the government is all tied up with all sorts of uh, activities we never thought they would be tied up with, like uh, 9-11 and what actually happened on 9-11. If if you want a shocking book, read that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually um, I've been checking that out recently. <laughs> it is outrageous. <laughs> but uh, he's got a website called CollapseNet.com, and uh, it's also uh, tracking developments around the world 
that are fallouts of peak oil and climate change and financial system degradation and environmental system uh, degradation. I mean, there's a pretty good argument that the reasons for the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq are all about the fact that they need more, not just the oil, but there's copper in Afghanistan. There's all kinds of resources there. So, I mean, we're... I'm with you. Our worlds have already been rocked by this problem. They're just not telling us the real reasons why they're there. I'm with you. Yeah. And, well, in the course of spending two years in reading, you know, well over a thousand different books and articles on this topic, because it was so outrageous what was happening and and how the American public had been kept in the dark was just so shocking to me, Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. I had to satisfy myself by doing this extensive research and writing this book. And it's quite clear to me this is happening. It is real. And uh, our politicians and our corporate leaders are not talking about it. They just want to continue with business as usual. The unfortunate part about business as usual is the longer we wait, the less resources we will have to create the new economy. So we do have a period, I don't know how long it is, maybe it's a couple of years, a period of relative stability where we still have some of these natural resources at our disposal. And in keeping with um, the whole permaculture approach, and I'm a, a certified permaculture designer, so I've studied this, we need to be using those non-renewable natural resources in order to establish sustainable systems. And and that means, for instance, local food, because when the price of um, petroleum and other fossil fuels goes through the roof and, and becomes intermittently unavailable, we're going to be required to be taking care of our own needs. We're no longer going to be able to, to do things like import apples from New Zealand I, I was in a local food store recently, and I was just looking over the produce, and I pay a lot of attention to where things are made because I try to buy local. And I, I was I was shocked. There were so many apples from New Zealand. It's like, right. what's the deal here? I know. We uh, live in Mendocino California. County, <laughs> Mendocino County has great apples. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're <laughs> all over we, the place. <laughs> why are we bringing them in from New Zealand? And, and the answer is, well, they're cheaper. You know, on a certain level, it's it's wow. less expensive, and but it it will soon make no sense to do things like that. Mm-hmm. And we have become acclimated; we have become accustomed to bringing in these things from places far away. And much as I would like it to be true, it's not true. We're not going to be able to feed ourselves on pot and grapes. I'm sorry; right. <laughs> those those are those are very interesting high margin, uh, or at least they used to be high-margin crops, uh, we need to have a more diverse uh, system of agriculture here in Mendocino County. And so in the, in the course of writing this book, I was asking myself, oh, we need to organize as a community. What is it that we can do to uh, bring the community together to actually take action? And And the best mechanism that I came across is transition towns and and transition towns has been having so much success worldwide that I figured that oh, we should do that here in Mendocino County. And so uh, there Can I just stop you for a second? I'd like sure. to kind of tell uh, my own personal story about working in the sustainability uh, business because I was I did work on a, a, a sustainable farm for a little over a year before we moved out here. That was in Colorado. And fortunately for us, it was the land had been given to the institution, so we weren't paying a mortgage. 
But I, what I've found is that the, the whole agricultural economy is so skewed right now that yep. it's so difficult. Well, I mean, you, we've watched it over the last 50 years. That's why there aren't any more family farms, because the corporations drove them all out of business. And now, right. and, and so as we try to get back back to that, you know, where families are, are making their own food and, and then they, you know, and maybe they have a cash crop where they can pay their mortgage with it or whatever, and, and we have more of a sustainable uh, system. But while we transition to that, it's just, it seems very difficult. It's one of my own personal frustrations, you know, trying to, trying to do this in, within the current paradigm, uh, where the system itself makes it so difficult. Yes, absolutely. And, and in large measure, it's the financial system that has really twisted our activities into a totally unsustainable position and we've also become so very centralized with many of the services that we we get, like um, our electricity comes from a highly centralized source. And if that was to suffer some uh, problem, uh, heaven forbid, but a terrorist attack or you know a major shutdown, mm-hmm. then a very large number of people are all going to be affected. It's much more sustainable and much more resilient if we have decentralized systems providing electricity. And so that, that's where everybody having solar panels on their house or a wind turbine or something like that will actually support the community in being a more resilient community. But if I may, I'd like to come back to local food. We have a working group in Mendocino Coast uh, uh, transition towns. And a lot of that work is being done by Sarah Bodner. By the way, she and Justin Calvino put together a great conference over the July 4th weekend here in Mendocino. It was called the Mendopendence Conference, and it was all about um, local sovereignty, particularly in the area of food, but other areas as well, such as finances and energy. Will you, can you uh, just really quickly explain to, to our listeners how the whole working group thing works? I mean, this is how Transition Pounds yeah, sure. is what working you've been doing. Working groups are, are just a bunch of uh, citizens like you and me, regular people, that are getting together to work on a particular problem. And uh, those people who are uh, frustrated because the government isn't doing it and the corporations are, aren't doing it, and they're realizing, well, it's you and me that has to mm-hmm. do the work if it's going to get done. Those people come together in a working group. And if you have an idea for a working group, please contact me, 707-937-5572, or email uh, ccwood at ix.netcom.com, and we'll put together a working group. But we do, for instance, have a, a local food working group, yeah. and, and Sarah Bodner is, is the gal who's the uh, point person for that. And they're, for instance, showing... Um, the movie Farmageddon, which uh, you probably know about this, Doug. It's about small family farms and how they're under attack by our economic system, as well as uh, it's about our right to uh, get healthy food and uh, our ability to access that type of food without uh, interference of uh, bureaucrats and without the bureaucrats carrying out the, the wishes of the large agribusiness. And that really came to a head, uh, perhaps you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with the Rawsome Natural Foods case yeah, down yeah. in Venice, California, yeah. where you know the federal government had a raid on a natural food store because they were selling raw milk. I mean, right. do we really need to throw the 
owner in jail and and hold him for $123,000 of bail and, you know, accuse him of criminal conspiracy charges just because he didn't have a permit to sell raw milk? Or is this instead an indication of large agribusiness increasingly flexing their muscle and imposing their type of food on uh, on the rest of us in the public. Right. So um, one thing we have is a petition to the Mendocino County Board of Supervisors, uh, which talks about the right to produce and process and purchase and sell and consume um, food of your choice. And uh, you can go uh, link to and sign that petition at uh, mendopendence.com. And if you would like to uh, join uh, Sarah and Justin on this working group, you can contact them through me and my email address, again, ccwood at ix.netcom.com, and then I'll put you in touch with them. Could, so, could uh, I go into a couple of the other working groups? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how I, many? I know we don't have much time, so I'm kind of rushing here. Fair enough. I, I would like so. to get to the local currency before the end of the hour, so we've got 12 minutes left. But yeah, okay. explain explain uh, other working groups. How many working groups do you have right now? Well, it varies because some are dormant and some are active, mm-hmm. but somewhere between eight and ten. And um, one, yeah, I'll just mention two others, and then let's get into local currency. Okay. Um, so it was about two weeks ago we had an event in Mendocino about eco-villages and intentional communities. And uh, I was surprised at the level of interest in the community. We had 65 people show up. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> we also had uh, four people from our local government, um, which is really gratifying. And, of course, we want to work with local government. This goes back to what you said about working with the federal uh, folks, um, what and I was getting around to what Michael Rupert suggested is that we don't bother with them. They're yeah. too wrapped up in you know conflicts of interest and all sorts of other legalities and infighting with the Tea Party. You name it. Better to just work with the local government. And and we in Mendocino Coast Transition Towns are are very pleased to work with our local government. Um, one of the things that came out of the event on eco-villages and intentional communities is that the Mendocino um, land use uh, code is being revised, and the people on this working group that's looking at eco-villages and intentional communities, they are going to be working with the building and planning department here in Mendocino County to have the zoning be more... um, supportive of and enabling of uh, these types of uh, new housing arrangements. And, uh, for instance, that would show up in the arena of uh, density. So um, you can imagine that uh, some new technology like black water systems, that's where we recover uh, usable water from sewage, could be used to overcome some of the density requirements that are written into the existing code. And and so that's really great that this uh, local working group is addressing that. The local working group is also um, connecting people who want to be in a community with those who have a community and are looking for members. And that's an especially important endeavor here in Mendocino County because there's a lot of farmland that's 
lying fallow right now, and that farmland might be uh, used to grow some food or otherwise uh, put to some uh, productive use. So if you want to be connected with the people on that working group uh, for eco-villages and intentional communities, contact me at ccwood at ix.netcom.com. And uh, I'll just mention one other working group, then I should get into local currency, okay. <clears throat> unless you want to go straight into local currency. No, right go, go ahead. One other working group is uh, the Recycle, Reuse, and Recondition uh, working group. This is... Um, this is something that uh, Frank Hartzell is working on, and it's uh, we had an event uh, about a month and a half ago where we brought in um, Stuart Moody from uh, Green Sangha there in Berkeley. Uh, they're a great group, a Buddhist group that's really having us look at our relationship with plastics and how destructive plastics are to the environment and our health and how unsustainable our reliance on plastics is. So we had a, a great event about that. And um, this new working group is establishing a, a new place in Fort Bragg on um, Franklin's. This place is uh, sort of like an extension of Mendo Free Cycle, if people are familiar with that. But it'll be a place where... Uh, bicycle parts can be stockpiled and traded. It'll be a place where, um, you know, clothes can be swapped uh, and prevented from going into the dump. It'll be a way in which we can really expand the recycling, reuse, and reconditioning of uh, all the many resources that we have here in Mendocino County. If people would like to work on that working group, they can get in touch with me at ccwood.com at ix.netcom.com. And if it's all right with you, Doug, I'll go into the local currency working group at this point. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we also have um, a local currency working group, and uh, Barbara Fischelson is the, the point uh, person for that. And if you'd like to work on that, contact me, and I'll, I'll forward uh, your email or phone call to her. But we've... Um, and I also uh, sit on that working group, we've really uh, been paying attention to the fragility of our existing economic system. We, we started out with a market research uh, effort where we contacted 30 different business owners along the coast to ask them a variety of questions about would they be willing to support a local currency and what would it have to look like. <clears throat> and one of the things that was really obvious that it needed to be convertible back and forth with dollars so that the money would not get stuck in any one particular place. Mm -hmm. But of, and this goes back to some things you were saying earlier, <clears throat> where uh, one of the questions on the, um, the market research survey for business owners, which you could consider to be the most conservative members of our community, or at least amongst the most conservative one of the questions was, do you believe the current financial system is sustainable? And uh, we got a 100% no to that question. Right. And that, that shocked me. It's like, wow, the most conservative people think that this financial system is, is on its way to a train wreck. And uh, we need something else that can be used to get our needs met. And so... Yeah. Um, I mean, Charles, just to mention, I think that this whole... I mean, it's... 
I was probably in my late 20s before I even figured out how the Federal Reserve worked and really understood what was going on, but we have basically given control of our national money supply to the hands of a few people that control the largest banks in the country. Yep. And so yep. these people the Reserve. These yep. people are making so much money. They're just basically skimming off the top and plus they make the money. So like how, money isn't doesn't have any meaning to them, you know. I guess it yep. must just be all about power at that point because once you're making the money, then, I mean, it's just outrageous. No, you're right. The, the current system has been co-opted, mm -hmm. and, and we really need something that's independent of, um, you know, the banks and independent of the moneyed interest that serves all people equally, and that's right. part of our objective. And we also, of course, want to provide a backup system so that when the dollar system goes poof or maybe it's just severely hobbled due to uh, bankruptcy of the United States or whatever. Maybe the U.S. currency is no longer the world reserve currency. Right. That's going to have a tremendous, serious negative impact when that happens. It is going to happen. The question is when. But um, we've been studying what happened in Argentina in 2000 and 2001. Uh, I, if people really want to get a sense for what happens when a currency system self-destructs, I, I strongly urge them to look at what happened in Argentina and uh, a relatively well-off, uh, stable uh, country uh, goes through some very serious, difficult times as a result of the destruction of its financial system. And so we've been uh, looking at a wide variety of other currencies, such as the Burke shares in uh, Massachusetts, uh, the Ithaca Hours in up, upstate mm -hmm. New York, and others to, to get the best system that um, we could adopt here on the coast. And I'd like to just go over a couple of the objectives that we've been looking at. We, we need, by the way, we need people to help us with this. If you want to be on our working group, mm -hmm. let me know. Charles, this is also another thing where uh, the feds occasionally come in and bust people that are using alternate currencies because they have uh, the legal tender laws that give them the monopoly on on the dollar. So it is just you know just to mention that so people understand. Well, uh, we of course want to do everything in a way that's entirely legal. Mm -hmm. Nothing the transition towns is doing is illegal or against existing laws. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's certainly to have an uh, an alternative currency, and uh, we're paying great attention to the laws. So, for instance, we cannot issue coins. So that's the, the you can't like print value, silver coins. Yeah, if the value is under a dollar, we can't issue coins. That's a monopoly that the federal government huh. uh, keeps for itself. But the issuance of paper money or coins that have a value over a dollar that is legal. And is going on not only in the United States, but in over 2,000 different uh, areas of the world. So, I mean, Interesting. it's a proven approach. And by the way, it was used extensively in the uh, Great Depression as a way for uh, people to get their needs met. We wow. have a slew of uh, local currencies that cropped up. That's interesting. Because the, one of the problems with the Great Depression was that the money supply was just cut off. People just didn't have enough cash to be able to buy stuff. and so Right. That's why they created their own. Mm -hmm. Okay, go, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to mention some of the objectives that we're looking at. And, and we're in formulation still, so this is not cast in concrete. But 
we we want to have um, a, a particular uh, local currency that will encourage local business and encourage people to buy local. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the quickest uh, ways in which you can determine whether or not a business is local is whether or not they accept a local currency. So this this really confronts people about what's local and what's not. And a lot of the money, for instance, for food, upwards of 90%, um, is going outside the county. Our money is going out there for products and services that are not provided in the county. And we have tremendous resources here in Mendocino County. We want to be able to encourage the development of new entrepreneurial businesses, encourage the expansion of other local businesses to meet our needs so we can keep more of our money here in Mendocino County. And that's one of the objectives of the local currency. We also also thereby hope to give local business a competitive advantage over the large chains and multinationals. And we want to uh, furthermore encourage consumers to discover that a product or service that they need uh, is right here. It may be in Fort Bragg or Ukiah or someplace like that. They don't have to go to Santa Rosa or San Francisco or some other big city to get this stuff. How are you envisioning that this would work? Who would issue the currency and how would you control the the money supply, et cetera, et cetera? Well, um, we're going to be meeting with the banks because we're going to have to have um, exchange of the local currency with dollars back and forth. Uh, that convertibility is a very important attribute. But and you do that at local banks as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. we would only be working with local mm-hmm. banks. 